1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part three of the Stompcast. Uh, Adam, this has been an amazing episode. I was really excited for this conversation with you. And yeah, I mean, you're so, you're so articulate and the way that you kind of get across your points, it just makes it so clear. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing so far. And I'm really going to take away a particular idea. I hope all of you will as well. You know, the red and green, you know, to think about, that's just a, it's just an idea that someone could use, you can use it in schools, you could use it in the workplace. It helps people, but it's not that difficult. So thank you for sharing that. Right, we're going to dive into um, conversation about life lessons. Now you've actually shared a lot of life lessons along the way. So hopefully you've got a few left to, to share. And if you look back over your life, and you look at the experience you've had, highs and lows, what are some of the things, I guess, that you know, you've taken away of either mottos or things that have, that have helped you, I guess, moving forward in the present? Because, you know, we are kind of the sum of our experiences in some sense, so yeah. I wonder.
0: I, well, there's always a big one that I always, always stick to, and irrespective of, of what your dogma or what your belief system is, because mm. we, we, we all have them. Mm. Um, the, the one I always try and, and stick to, like vehemently, like proper close-handed Adam Pearson theology, don't be a dick.
1: That's a pretty good start.
0: Anything else, open season, if you can be anything, don't be a dick.
1: It's a pretty strong start, that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like in the way that, do you mean particularly in the way that you treat other people? Yeah, it's
0: really easy
1: to be a dick,
0: because I did it for a few years.
1: <laughs> do you think a part of it as well, though, is... Um, you know, we all make mistakes with things. Is it kind of going, right, I have realised and atone for mistakes and make a change? Because it's very easy just to kind of not recognize. And I've, you walk through life actually, to be honest, and you notice and you meet loads of people, you can tell that just don't reflect on their behavior, don't actually look in the mirror and think actually, what am I doing in this situation? What was my accountability? I was reading the other day uh, about accountability. It's very easy to be accountable when you've won or done something well. I did this great. It's a lot harder to be accountable when you did something wrong. And people are often good at the first, not so good at the latter.
0: Yeah. No, that, that's really, really true. And so, and everyone's going to make mistakes. Mm. Like, no, no one's expecting perfection. Mm. I, I, I don't personally believe in, in perfection. I think it's something made up to keep us all in our place. Or, or just to make us feel, feel bad, right? so you know if you're chasing, chasing perfection is like chasing the wind you're never going to get it i had a, i had a good friend once say um it's like a dog chasing a fire truck you're never going to catch it and in the unlikely event you do what you're going to do with it that's so true isn't it? That's so
1: well that's so well but the dog gets it, it's like uh now, now <laughs> what I'm gonna, I'm gonna chew a tire i don't know yeah. it's, i i always say something that helps me anyway um uh you know i say i'm 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 perfectly imperfect, uh, and that idea that actually being perfect is actually not the acceptance of not being perfect and, yeah. and going and going with it.
0: You, I, I have that on my on my treasure. I'm like adaptation, beautiful, broken, brilliant. Honestly, I I really believe that the key to
1: and I talk as you guys know on Stompcast. I talk a lot more about finding kind of peace than happiness as. In a way, almost you're not know, chasing something. People chase happiness, but you're chasing like a, a, something that is felt part of the time. And if you're expecting to feel happy all the time, you're going to be absolutely miserable. Yeah. finding if you want to find peace, part of that is accepting that you have flaws and things are going to happen, and also being somewhat compassionate of our of our mistakes, our flaws, whatever you want to call it. Because do you know what? If you if you live a perfect life, good luck. And when you look at you know you look at things, you see online and people are quick to judge or say something, I always think that saying is great. You know, those are that sin, cast the, first the stone. Down. People are very quick, particularly perhaps because the, the speed in which the brain can engage a typing on a phone versus getting up, as you said, and strapping on a pair and going to say something. It can be so quick. So not, I don't know about you, but I always think like, you know, better to say something nice. and don't. If you've got something bad to say, just unless it's something constructed, don't say it.
0: Oh, yeah, no, totally. And I, I always say be as quick to forgive other people as you are to forgive yourself. And be as quick to hold other people to accountability as you would yourself. Like, when I do school assemblies, a lot of times people do school assemblies. Motivational speaking can be quite fluffy, yeah. and it, it drives me a little bit mental when, when I when I see it happen. I find, some of it I find a bit icky, yeah. kind of, you can do it if you just believe, well, or some, sometimes... You can't. How hard I believe I'm not going to be a fighter pilot because I can't see well enough to do, do the gig. Mm. So, you know, be, be honest with people. You know, like, one of the things I say at School of Seven is I'm here today for your betterment, not your happiness. Very, very different thing. I'm here for your betterment. And some of you during this talk are going to realise you're not as great as you think you
1: are, and that's okay. <laughs> I think we need to record and send your talks for everyone, to be honest. I think that's a really good place to start. You are, as I've said many times, even just the short time I've been with you and anyone that's watched your documentaries, you're very articulate. You capture a moment, you capture a message, and you deliver it so well. It's a a clear strength of yours. I wonder if you could reflect perhaps on things you've identified as weaknesses and perhaps are they still, are the things you thought, was a weakness for younger, they're still a weakness now. Because I often find it funny that, for example, for me, sensitivity was awful at school. People targeted that, mm-hmm. um, and that was, for me, a big issue. I think that's probably tied in a lot to ADHD, I don't know. I was very sensitive. Now I think, actually, I love being sensitive. I love being an empath. I love feeling, if you like. Even if actually feeling can make you feel bad at times, I wouldn't change it for the world. So I just wonder what things, yeah, you look back on, perhaps, that were weaknesses, and are they still the case?
0: Oh, I I was the much like you, you know, very like emotional, in touch with their emotions, could read other people's. I was a massive dork. I was I was like D and D, bring it. Video games, bring it. Movies, yes. TV, yeah. All that stuff. I I was just like maybe subconsciously it was a strategy. I was like. If I give people just so many options for bullying me, just will forget what one it is and leave me,
1: leave me alone. <laughs> I definitely something that isn't a weakness of yours is uh, humour. You're, you're a funny guy.
0: But no, I, I don't think they are weaknesses. I think, I think the reason we're conditioned to think they're weaknesses when we're younger is because of this weird popularity culture that exists in, in the school playground. It's something very Darwinian about a school playground. I often say, if you want to see Darwin's theory in perfect motion, go to any school playground across the country and, and watch it play out.
1: So true, isn't it? And you kind of, yeah, you kind of realize, yeah, how how much, not only it happens, but how much impact it can have on your life, really.
0: And I, I wish I'd known that when I was, me now, I'd go back and be like, just, you know, all this, dumb. This is all dumb. Everyone's like walking around now, hugging, signing notebooks, saying, this, this wins forever. Mm. And then today you'll all leave and never see each other again. I
1: think that's a great message to go, and tell, kind of go back and tell yourself. And you know, one of the things that um, I always think is that life teaches you so much perspective, doesn't it? So when you're younger, the things you think are like, really, really important, I'm not saying they aren't important, but perhaps in time you realise either they don't matter as much as you think you are, or actually what you're worrying about wasn't even... It, it wasn't even not important, but who cares now, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Your priorities change it's sort of like you you grow up. and It was all, a lot of guys like, yeah, I want to be want to be a, a big muscular footballer with with a fast car, and, and it's just like oh like when, oh when you're dating and you're younger and you're just like you've, you've got this like massive list, and then when you get a little bit older, you're like oh that wasn't that wasn't the best list in in the world. It's not kind of like is she breathing? Does she like me? Will she put up with me? That's my, that's my list. <laughs> <laughs> and anything else? Will she put up with me? That's very
1: true. That's very true. I, I mean, I, I, accept openly that I'm pretty uh, quirky, and I think I'm, yeah, I'm definitely an odd individual, mate. <laughs> So putting up with this is an important one. And on that note, um, on the note of oddness, because I don't know what we're going to read next, let's do our health fact of uh, the week. So um, this is where I read out a fact and yeah, let's react to it. And I really, really haven't seen this one. So health fact of the week. Adam, you describe yourself uh, as a gamer. So, um, a gaming-related health back to the week, apparently. Okay, let's do it. Nice. Video games can help improve your decision-making skills. According to scientists from the University of Rochester, playing fast-paced action video games helps players make decisions 25% faster than normal. God, that's a lot quicker. So to explain the decision-making process, humans are constantly taking in small pieces of information that are used to calculate possible responses to decisions in their head. Eventually, a person gathers enough information to make what they believe to be a correct decision. Action games simply help the player become more efficient at processing decision-making information, although it turned out they weren't any more accurate. Oh. So perhaps they made decisions, but not necessarily <laughs> the
0: right ones. No, 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 not not the right ones. Um, I, I, I'm familiar with that that study. Because when you play like fast action video games, things like um, Devil May Cry or any of the, the dark the souls, Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, any of those those ones, yeah, you are like on edge trying to make make decisions. But those decisions aren't necessarily the ones you're going to have to make in, in real life sure right. i'm not like oh sure. thank god sure. i did the dark souls trilogy because if i am walking down the road and i see a shovel coming towards me <laughs> i know exactly what to know <laughs> those attack patterns <laughs> and i know exactly what to do i'll deal with it
1: because you know what i know um I, I i'm familiar with uh i hadn't i wasn't familiar with that study but i'm familiar with a lot of Or well, i've heard of a lot of surgeons now who especially um urology surgeons could they use um they use like robots and robotic surgeons. Yeah, for the ki- like kidneys and transplants and all this kind of, I mean, they now practice a lot on, on games. So it makes me laugh because I remember when I was younger, like my parents, when you know, the PlayStation came out, don't play too much games, like it's not going to help you when your are Mum, it might help me. And I didn't become a urology surgeon, but there would have been a really satisfying moment if I would turned around and gone, Mum, see, it did help me when I was playing PlayStation at school and first Call of Duties and things. It's funny, isn't it? Like, th- some of the things we don't think are gonna be beneficial, well, you never know what talents might help, you know?
0: Exactly, exactly. gaming's great.
1: Adam, thank you so much for joining me on the Stompcast. I've really, really enjoyed this. Me um, too. You're, you're really funny, you're really real, and I just appreciate um, you sharing your advice, but also uh, your humour as well. Thank you so much for joining. Absolute pleasure. Everyone look after yourself. Take care, Um, keep an eye out for for Adam and his work. I mean, awesome and incredible, and I know that we're all really grateful on the stomp car. So take care everyone, look after yourselves. Happy stomping, and more important, peaceful stomping. Goodbye. wasn't Adam fantastic. He was amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you did too. Now we have a little bit of time at the end of this episode so I wanted to use this to share with you something I've been doing for Behind the Stomp subscribers on Apple Podcasts. Each week I've been going on a solo stomp with just me and my microphone and sharing my thoughts for Dr. Alex's diaries. The premise was I, I really want to delve into certain topics about you know health in general you know my journey with weight with alcohol you know these kind of topics that sometimes i can't perhaps go into in the same way when i'm talking with a guest partly because of you're be very rude because i'd be talking for 20 minutes and maybe i talk about talk a little bit too much anyway but i really wanted to create the space to delve into these topics because well they're important to me and i hope that they will help you too. So I've been recording these, and so far I've talked about my brother, clear and growing through grief. I've also talked about my decision, basically, to change my life when it comes to my health. Every single Thursday, you're going to be getting an episode of Dr. Alex's Diaries on Behind the Stomp. So you can subscribe for free on a free trial, and thereafter it's £3.99 a month. As a special treat i'm sharing with you a part of one of the exclusive episodes here right now so you can hear what it's like and see if it's worth subscribing check it out and yeah i hope you find it helps happy stomping okay in true alex style we're starting the first episode with a quite a deep topic uh, i'm a deep person and i was like should i do it this topic this week is it too much for ep one but do you know what i'm, I'm doing it and I've always been someone that shares, and I'm maybe an oversharing, maybe that's part of my ADHD. I've always been quite sensitive and quite raw with things, and I'm just going to do it. So this episode's on grief, three years since losing my brother, Theo, to suicide, and the black box theory of dealing with grief. Okay, so as we record, this episode is pretty much exactly a week until the third anniversary since my brother, Theo, died. For those of you that don't know, Theo is my youngest brother, and he was finishing school and had a place at medical school and very sadly he passed away from suicide so he died three years ago Um obviously anniversary is coming up so yeah very 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 raw very recent in many ways but also feels a long time ago and I think that's my immediate thoughts as I say that it's very odd how you know in many ways you know, it was it was extremely recent, like three years, ago, anyone would say, like, oh, my God, that's so recent. But in many ways, that feels like a lifetime ago. And in other other ways, it was like it was yesterday. Um, you know, I found out. Um, so obviously three years ago, I, I found out Well, I was I was at um, a dinner with my friends. It was just kind of when you're allowed to you know, go out and actually see people again. What a joy that was. And, uh, you know, it was a sunny, beautiful day, actually much like the day I'm recording the podcast today. Uh, And I sat down um, for food with my friends. And uh, we've got a thing, me and my parents, where because I do a lot of recording, kind of like I'm doing now, or I'm on TV, or I'm doing different things, you know, if they ring me, I need to know whether it's an important phone call or whether it's one for later. So the rule is ring once, you just try, you know, having a chat. Uh, ring twice and it's important. i always answer. So the phone was buzzing and buzzing and buzzing on, the t- on just by side me on, on the bench. It was kind of, on the, so we were on a bench seat with a table and you know, I just sat down, we just literally ordered a drink and I could feel it buzzing next to me and it was going and going. I thought, right, okay, I need to answer this. So I answer the phone and I hear my dad's voice and you know by someone's voice immediately something terrible has happened. He didn't even... Uh, say anything other than I said dad and he he said Alex and I said who's who's died immediately because there's only one reason someone sounds that way or has that energy it's hard to even describe uh, as to what it was but I knew um something had happened and he said Cleo Cleo's passed away and you know my whole world just it was odd it was as if, you know, you in the movies where they show like the whole world spins and like you're sucked into that moment. And it was like that. And I knew in that moment like my life would never be the same again. Things were very different. And I immediately said, how? Like he's what's happened? And he said, try and get back to the house where you're staying and I'll, I'll talk to you further. So um, I turned to my friend. Everyone at the table looked at me. They knew something truly terrible had happened. Everyone had gone white, to be honest. Um, and my friend Nathan, my um, good friend, Nathan said, let's, let's go back, come on. So we, we walked out of the restaurant, got home. I was in a complete state of shock. I can't remember the journey from the restaurant to the house I was staying in um, in Sloan Square at the time. I don't even remember the, the journey, but we got back there. So we got back um, and I rang my dad and I said, are you sure? How, are you sure? Because I, I had no context at all at this time. I was like, are you sure he's not dead? Is he seriously sick? Is he had a heart attack? what has happened and he said he died by suicide and you know i, I say he died twice that day um, once when i found out and a second time when i found out why and that's because you know suicide is you know, is the only form of death where you're opting out you've chosen to die and that feeling of how 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 has this come to pass how have we missed this how has this happened and it threw me into despair you know it's kind of like um if you imagine you know uh you're playing a playstation game and uh you're on you know call of duty and you're rolling a flash grenade into a building before you run in and storm the building and the bang goes off that is kind of that is kind of what happened the flashbang went off except It didn't disappear, it was constantly there like the bang and time was frozen in this shock. So I just was stuck with immediate shock. Um, I made my way back to Wales with my brother, Elliot, my middle brother, he came and picked me up and we drove back and it's about four or five hours and I can honestly say, it's the longest four or five hours of my entire life. We had no music, it was dark by this time, it was late and we were just watching the lights on the road as we were driving. And it kind of still traumatizes me or triggers me a little bit when I'm in the nighttime driving because it kind of, I get flashbacks to those moments. And um, I didn't know where Clear was at this time. I had no idea. Um, I still hadn't really talked to my parents on the phone. Talking to them more meant that I'd find out more, and part of me wanted to know, part of me didn't. And we arrived at that house. Clear was not there. Um, we arrived to my parents, and they were like children, you know. And, and that, that was the, you know, and I, it was, the hard, it was the hardest thing. And I remember tapping my brother's knee as we went to walk in the house. and said, come on, we've got to do this. And we only, But the good news is we only do this once. And we went in and we did it. And it was genuinely one of the most... It was one of those awful things. I would never wish that on anyone on this planet. Even my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish that upon. It's just absolutely awful to walk into that house of devastation with these two parents that have brought up three children that are so loving and such good people to have lost the youngest son in that way is just truly awful. And you know, the first five days, didn't, I don't think I slept for four nights, didn't sleep a second. And I wouldn't be able to say, oh, I didn't really sleep, you sleep for like two or three hours. I mean, I was continuously in a state of consciousness for three to four nights. Um, my dad was hoovering at three in the morning. Mum was, you know, it just was awful. Um, and I thought there's no way we'll su- survive, but I received a message that time from Nigel Harrison, a consultant at Lewisham Hospital, a dear friend of mine who I worked with for a good number of years. He messaged me and he said, obviously we spoke on the phone, but he reflected and he thought and he sent me this message and he said, Life throws us into the deep end at times. However, with the help of family and friends, we overcome even the most seemingly insurmountable challenges. And that is word for word what he said. It's ingrained in my brain. I don't need to read it. I don't need to check it. It's word for word what he said. And I spoke those words at Clear's funeral. You know, we carried him in, you know, something we never should do, have to do. To, a parent should never carry the child. Um, and I'm far too young to be carrying my younger brother. So, you know, I spoke those words to his friends and to, to the few people that were unfortunately allowed to be there. Don't forget these were the monks COVID times. Um, we were allowed more in the ceremony, but when it came to actual fu- the cremation only 12 of us were allowed which is which is pretty awful i don't think i need to elaborate on that more really um it was tough so the weeks went by and i thought how am i going to rebuild and you know what is my purpose now in life so that's why i at that time I was like I, I have to pour everything i have into this because grief is an energy and coming on to grief grief is a form of energy and Happiness, anger, sadness, frustration, uh, jealousy, um, any, you know, shock—all of these things are energies. They're forms of energy. Okay, and you experience them in different directions and uh, different, different deflections from the baseline. Depending on the deflection, you know, it's the type of energy that you're feeling. You know, happiness, or sadness, whatever. Grief is a form of energy. You need to do something with that grief. If you just hold it in, it will eat you alive. It will affect you to a huge degree you have to do something with that energy even though it can be really tough and so for me pouring it into trying to stop other families if I'd love to stop every other family from experiencing it if I could I click my fingers and I would love that of course I would but pouring my energy into helping as many people as possible was the goal and I think we'll do different conversations in different days as to what happened next and how I went forward but I want to concentrate on grief for today, because also I don't want to <laughs> talk to you guys forever and um, Pearl Abbey and stuff has to edit this and put this together. But yeah, I kind of had to have that place that I put energy into. And so it's been hard. And, and someone, someone said to me actually, about six months after Thea had passed away, they said, there's something you should know. And that is, you know, the grief will never go. It'll never be okay, but you'll be okay. And I found that pretty triggering, if I'm completely honest, when they told me that. I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to be over this, that's it, I'm suffering for the rest of my life. And I'll explain to you using the black box theory as to what it really means. I came up with this theory after here having this conversation and trying to make sense of it. And I also hope it will give you some hope and reason as to why it's okay to still feel pain many, many years on. So the black box theory. So you imagine you're inside of my head right now. Okay? We're in a house. A house in my head. I'm the person, the head is my house. I'm sat on the couch and all of a sudden, bam, the worst things happened. You know, clear has passed away. All of a sudden this black box lands on my lap, this massive black box that lands on my lap and the box is open from the top. The lid's open. And everything, the noise, the sounds, the emotions, the upset, the grief, it's all staring me in the face. I can't look away, I can't put the box down, I can't move the box, I can't stand up, it's too heavy, it's there. I'm just literally enveloped into this box. Over time, with therapy, with self-care, with talking, with putting your grief and into energy into other things, through doing all of these things, you start being able to close the lid of the box, first of all. It's still on your lap, it's heavy as hell. But you start being able to close the lid. It pops open every now and then, it pops open. And any trigger, it pops open, like a jack in the box. You get triggered, it opens. But that's, that ability to close that lid improves. And over time, even, the box shrinks until eventually you're strong enough to stand up with the box in your hands. And you walk over to the shelf in your house and you put it on the shelf. Every now and then you get a little tremor and the house shakes and the box falls off the shelf bump on the floor and you've got to go over there. Oh gosh, all the stuff is spilt out of it. You have got to put stuff back in the box, close the lid and put it back. It's painful. It goes back on the shelf. You can never throw that box away. It's always going to be there, but you learn to manage it. And through time you learn to have a really tidy house with full of laughter and memories and family and good things. And the box is still there and, and, and that box, you might think, well, why can't we get rid of it? Shouldn't we get rid of it? Well, this is the part I guess I'll come on to now, is that, do you want to? Do you ever want to be okay that that person's died? Like, in 30 years time, do I actually want to be like, do you know what, cool, clear died of suicide, I'm at peace with that, cool. Of course not. You love that person. You're not okay that they died about it. You don't want them to have died about it from, from that or to have died at all. So, and there's, there's such a, when you kind of sit with that and you find your peace with never being fully at peace, that person's died, you actually ironically find peace. I'm okay with the fact that it's always going to hurt me that Clear died by suicide and that I'm going to be hopefully 70 years old, eight years old on my deathbed thinking, Do you know what, like it still hurts. And I'm okay with that because I love him and I miss him. And that's okay. That, that is okay. So to any of you that have experience grief and let's be honest most people have experienced grief. Grief comes in many forms. It might be death of a person, loss of a relationship, something that's changed in your life, loss of a previous way of life that you had. All these things are forms of grief. Learn from what happened, practice forgiveness, don't beat yourself up around what happened. You know there's no point me beating myself up over fat clear passed away, he's gone, it doesn't bring him back. You've got a life to live and life is precious. So enjoy life as much as you can. And whenever that black box does fall off the shelf, pick it up, feel your feels, take your time, put it back. And when it comes to times like anniversaries, immerse yourself in it, immerse yourself in that time. You know, it's gonna be painful those days around when Cleo passed, but I want that pain. I want to feel it because it is important that I let that stuff out. Don't remember what you said right at the beginning, or not quite at the beginning, I know we've been (laughs) rambling on. you you can't trap that stuff. And if you trap it, you're asking for trouble. You know, you've, you've got to let it out. So, for me, you know, coming up to a week before the third anniversary of him passing away, for, the focus for me is feeling my feels. It's okay that he's gone. That he's... It's not okay that he's gone, that's not what I mean. It's okay that I'm not okay that he's gone. And... Um, And yet I still am allowed to and will have a good life. You know, I am allowed to be happy. I'm allowed to feel sad that he's passed, but also still laugh and enjoy and have fun. I think a lot of time when people pass away, say you've lost a parent or a brother or a a husband, or, you know, I'm not allowed to be happy again. You feel guilty about being happy. What would that person want you to do? Would they want you sat in the house miserable all of the time? No, they want you to remember them at moments that you should remember them on anniversaries and so to feel your feels, but damn, they'd want you to live your life. So just remember that. And so it'll be hard next week, but I'll be okay. And I'm lucky to have those friends and family around me that make it okay. From Rolo through to the team that work with me. Oh, we've got a helicopter coming. For this one, we may put pause for a moment, guys. How dare you? We're recording a Stompcast, don't you know? Helicopters really scare me, actually, I, I, I don't know that I'd go in a helicopter. Oh, we've got another one, there's two of them going on here now. Okay, fine, they're just showing off now. Okay, as that brief interruption has passed, um, every now and then we do have to stop. Um, so looking forward in time, looking, looking towards next week, I'll be okay because I've got friends and a family and I know how I'll approach grief and I feel safe in that, if that makes sense. Look, guys, I know it's been uh, a deep and heavy first episode of Alex's Diaries. Let's go with that for now. Can you please DM me? Um, probably on the Stompcast page, because I'm more likely to see it. DM me on the Stompcast page if you think that's a good name or whether you change it. Um, and yeah, I-, I know we've gone deep with this one. But I think it's timing. This is what I'm facing right now. It's raw and it's real. So I'm just going to be as raw and real as I can be with you guys on here. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me and thank you for subscribing to Pine the Stomp. You know, it helps, you know, the amount of money you're paying each month helps us keep going and keep making episodes and now allows us to make this content. So yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna stomp back to the flat now and see Rollo. Take care and goodbye.